Welcome to the Dylan Experience. My name is Dylan Sessler. Today's episode 32, and I've got a great guest for you. But before, make sure you subscribe, make sure you follow, hit the bell notification if you're on YouTube, do all the other things on any other podcast platform you're listening to. But my guest today, really excited for this. She's local to my area, which is exciting because at some point we're going to meet. Um, my guest today is a woman on a mission. And that mission is to empower those struggling with chronic pain and give them alternatives outside of medication to lessen pain, to live sustainable and healthy lifestyles. Her own story of chronic pain empowered her to dig deeper into the systems available to people and make a difference in the everyday battle against chronic pain. She is an entrepreneur and the founder of her very own Hope and Harmony system to walk people through the hardships of chronic pain with an empathetic yet empowering voice. My guest today is Sarita Velmond. Sarita, how are you? I am amazing after that intro. I, like I was saying before, I'm like, maybe you need to start doing my copy for me. I'm <laughs> here because uh, <laughs> you did amazing. I'm like, I'd almost look around and be like, is that really me? Like, did I really do all these things? That, you know, I've, and for the people listening, like, I've already met Sarita. So I have the pleasure of knowing that that intro doesn't do her justice. Uh, it, and, and I'm going to tell you this, Sarita, it doesn't do you justice. There's not enough there that tells everybody about who you really are. I, I'm really excited for to, to share you with people because that's what you deserve. That's what you need. That's what people need. Um, I love your energy. I love what you have to share. I love what you have to talk about because it's it's a different way of looking at things. And I love perspective. And I just want you right now to tell people a little bit about your story, kind of give, you know, you can go as in-depth as you want. The floor is yours. Tell us about you. First off, thank you for everything. As always, I appreciate you. And as far as for my story, it's definitely an assorted tale, <laughs> nonetheless, because that's usually how it goes, unfortunately. And so for me, it was really an unfortunate slash fortunate accident that actually got me to where I am today. And about um, roughly, it'll be almost five years now, it was July 4th, 2016. I was rear-ended by a drunk driver at a stoplight. I was in the area where the speed limit was 25, she was going at least 60. So yes, you can imagine the impact not only on my vehicle, but also on my body. And when this happened, it really threw me in a world of pain that I was unfamiliar with, you know, to put things in perspective for me. Um, mother of three, you know, I was in corporate America, working out like six, seven days a week. Um, middle child had natural childbirth within 15 minutes was up walking around like nothing happened and was getting yelled at by the staff to go lay down you just gave birth so to kind of put that in perspective to then go from if I felt someone's energy on me you know around me like the heat you know for example if I you know my clothing all these different things really started to bother me and the pain that I was having actually um, eventually found out was coming from my right shoulder and it's going down my arm into my right hand. And then it also was in my upper neck and back. And then it started to radiate throughout my joints and the rest of my body. And I was basically at about like an eight or nine on the pain scale, you know, on a daily basis. And I was going to countless specialists and, you know, basically just following the protocols of Western medicine of what I was told to do and nothing was working. Things were actually getting worse. And every time I was leaving out from, you know, a specialist appointment, I was leaving out with an additional prescription. And I got to a point where I was on about roughly seven or eight medications on a daily basis. 
and I was on a wait list to see an orthopedic surgeon. And so I was on that wait list for about six months. So you can imagine going through all of this for about a good solid six months of trying to figure things out. And when I got in to see him, he says, hey, you know, I want to run, run some more tests on you, which I just started to laugh because I'm like, you know, that's what you guys have been doing anyways, every time they come back inconclusive. And so it's like, you know, if you find something great, if you don't, I'm at the point of, you know, it is what it is. And so he came back from my, I don't know how many, you know, MRI and CT and discovered that I had bone chip spurs going into my nerves in my right shoulder. So that began the additional journey from there where I'm like, okay, you know, how can we go ahead and correct this? And he told me I had to have surgery. And so I reached out to my mom because my, um, I'm in Wisconsin, as you mentioned, you know, my parents are in Florida. And I called my mom and asked her, you know, what should I do? Because she was a retired orthopedic nurse. So perfect person to ask, you know, as far as what I should do. And she's like, yes, you know, you definitely are going to have to have surgery to go ahead and remove the bone chip spurs to, you know, continue on with the healing process. So I'm like, all right, that's fine. And she said, you know, don't worry about it. I'll come up and take care of you. You know, you don't have any worries. You'll be fine. So taking that in, you know, and I'm an only child too. So it's like, this is all, <laughs> this is what I got. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'll go for it. Well, um, unfortunately, you know, I had to, of course, wait another four months. Um, for surgery. So now we're looking at about a year, you know, coming up on things. And unfortunately, three weeks prior to my surgery, my mother felt ill. And I got the opportunity to go down to Florida and actually be with her for her last three days before she transitioned. And so I was with her, you know, at that moment. And when that occurred, um, you know, actually, the week prior to my mother even going into the hospital happened to be my parents 54th wedding anniversary. So my dad pretty much, you know, in shock, he checked out, I had to check in and basically do all these things as far as, you know, setting up the funeral, you know, making the arrangements, you know, coming back up here, getting my kids, bringing them down there, you know, just the whole entire nine. And on top of that was still in pain, still just kind of going through the motions and almost kind of like numbing myself out, so to speak, just the, you know, those emotions, just so I can go through and get through the situation at hand. And did all of that, came back up here, had the surgery. And after I had the surgery, I can say this, you know, now laughing that um, at that point, I ended up um, being one of the two to 3% of the people in the population. And when they have this particular type of surgery, I lost the motor functions in my right hand. So I had to relearn how to, you know, use my hand, you know, right, brush your teeth, comb your hair, basically all the things you take for granted, I had to relearn. And so I was in physical therapy for a third time. And now at this point, I'm starting to get angry because I'm still in pain. And then on top of that, I'm basically like redoing all the things I've already done, you know, initially thinking it was going to help and it wasn't. And so from there, I, um, you know, still going to more specialists and things like that again. And the moment that really hit me was when I went to see a doctor that basically said to me, um, you need to start getting your paperwork and stuff together. Um, your son is going to be your caregiver. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like my son was, you know, 17 going on 18 senior in high school, getting ready to go to college, you know, for football and everything. And I'm like, no, that's not how this is going to be. And even just, you know, hearing that information, I did have like a few doctors that I have went to as well, that I did end up having to fire 
So it's not like that's the first time I've heard some information that was disturbing. Um, the first time that that actually happened was um, a doctor that I went to that looked at me and said, you don't look like you're in pain. And so basically just dismissed exactly what <laughs> I know, <laughs> exactly what I was going through. And oh, yes, and I said to him, um, you know, what does a person in pain look like? You know, right. I really want to know. And he kind of like just like sat back because I guess I was the first person to actually say something to him about that because it's like number one, that's not what you see to <laughs> the audacity person. of right. someone Absolutely. to ask that question is Absolutely. ridiculous. No, of course. And the thing is that you know, it took me two hours to get ready for a 10 to 15 minute appointment just because yeah. of how much pain I was in, you know, having to take the breaks and everything. And that was something that normally would used to take me maybe half an hour, 45 minutes tops, you know, to get ready for that now is, you know, triple the time, you know, that it takes for me. And so I'm like, all right, we are not gonna be able to work with each other and basically fired him. I had another one that said to me, um, you know, looking at your chart here, I noticed that you had your middle child natural childbirth, you know, I don't understand how you can be in so much pain. And I'm like, um, well, let's look at this, you know, like, first of all, you're a man. And you will never have a menstrual cramp. You will never know what it feels like to give birth to a child. And not to mention, you are comparing apples to oranges. You know, like having a child, once that's done, that pain is done. You know, you have a baby, you go home, you know, all those things, you know, are associated with that versus with this, it's constant. It's not going away. You know, it's like the medication is kind of taking a little bit of the edge off, but not enough for me to be able to get back to the things that I was doing. And at that point I was basically bedridden, you know? So for someone to sit there and say that to me, I'm like, nope, can't work with you. We're not going to do that. And then the last one I have went to, I said to me, it's in your head. There's no way that you could be functioning, you know, at the pain level that you're saying that you're at. That's just, that's, that can't happen. Like you wouldn't be able to do that. And it's like, so once again, another person dismissing, you know, what I'm saying as far as for my pain, you know, my pain threshold, which was of course, you know, completely screwed up, you know, from having the accident and everything like that, where I'm like, no. Yeah. So, you know, looking at all those pieces and then, like I said, having that last one, you know, really say that to me, you know, I want to say probably the next day or a couple of days later, I basically had a mental breakdown. You know, like I dropped my, um, my son was driving, so I have to worry about taking him to school. But my younger two were still in elementary school at the time. So I took them to school. You know, I was on disability at the time and I came back home and I just started crying, praying, meditating, just saying like something has got to give. Like I cannot continue on with the path that I'm on right now. And at that point, you know, I'm dealing with depression anxiety and then also now suicidal thoughts because I've lost my best friend you know like my mom is really that anchor for me that really helped me and that that was the person I talked to even though she's in Florida talked to her every single day at 10 a.m we had our you know our standing appointment you know talking to each other and she would know that and so you know not being able to have that outlet for me was really a huge piece as well and so after you know having that breakdown you know while it was going on all of a sudden my phone dings I'm like, okay, it's just a message, no big deal. And then I kind of turned back around. I was like, well, no, wait a minute. That's a message. Like, you know, why haven't you researched any of the things that, you know, these doctors and specialists are telling you and seeing if there's any other alternatives? Because clearly, you know, you're a science experiment at this point. You know, they don't know what's going on. It's time for you to go ahead and take over the science experiment yourself and see what you can do as far as for trying to heal yourself. And, you know, I initially 
was taking on, you know, everything that they were saying as just being, you know, as quote unquote for Bible, like that's it. That's what it's going to be, you know, based off what they're saying to me, not realizing that, hey, this is my life, you know, this is my body, you know, I need to go ahead and kind of look at what I can do for myself. And so from there, I went into that lovely rabbit hole of Google and started, you know, doing as much research as possible, you know, almost was late, you know, getting my kids from school from being stuck in the rabbit hole and got them, came home. And I just made the decision that I'm going to go ahead and start making some changes. And so I went through and I changed my nutrition. I went ahead and worked on my stress management, which honestly, I didn't have any, I didn't know what that was. You know, I just thought that, Hey, that's what it is. You know, everyone's stressed. We're all doing stuff. You know, that's what it is. Not knowing that there are actually things that you can do to lessen your stress, you know, also worked on my sleep because of course, you know, if you don't rest, your body's not able to heal. And I definitely was not getting, you know, solid, sustainable rest. You know, I maybe could sleep two to three hours tops at a time before having to, you know, take another medication again, that could put me down for like maybe a half an hour, you know, <laughs> kind of like, and just like doing that whole, you know, circle all over again. And then I also, you know, started working on my movement because as I mentioned before, you know, I was working out, you know, six, seven days a week prior. And now it's basically down to nothing just because the pain had really overtaken my ability, you know, so that I felt my ability to be able to go ahead and actually move. And then I also started working on the mental healing outside of just the physical healing as well, too, which, you know, as I kind of mentioned here, had a lot of traumas kind of happening and they're kind of like piling up and not really having the opportunity to even, you know, reflect or even recognize that they're going on. Because even like, for example, too, prior to my accident the year prior, I had just recently gotten divorced, you know, as well. So like I mentioned, I had a lot of stuff that's kind of piling up on top of each other. And in essence, Pandora's box, and it's just basically, you know, waiting to crack open. And so I was eventually, um, you know, during this process, I was put into pain management protocol, which I will say is, you know, it's not as horrible as people might think it is. But for me, it ended up being, you know, another additional set of pills, where now I was on actually about 15 medications on a daily basis for all these symptoms that I had, which I was um, diagnosed with five different things at that point, where I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, um, myofascial pain syndrome degenerative disc disease in my neck, nerve damage, and chronic migraines. So I was advised that, you know, because of all the symptoms that were associated with that, that's where the medications were coming from. And it almost was starting to become like a, you know, just like a wheel. Because when you're looking at, you know, you're taking one, you know, pill for one thing and for another and for another, and it's just like continuously being on that, you know, that cycle. And so, you know, from there, you know, I did go in and, you know, worked with a psychologist there, which was amazing. And I know, I remember I was telling you this story, Dylan, that, you know, before I went in, I was like, all right, they're going to take my kids from me. They're going to think I am crazy. They're going to lock me up. You know, like all these thoughts are going through my head. So like, I'm in the parking lot crying because I'm like, okay, let me just prepare myself for this because I'm going to have to say goodbye, you know, to my kids for right now. And so, you know, I clean my, clean myself up, put makeup on everything, go in. And I meet with her and I'm like, just talking. And I know that she could tell that I just was like at my wit's end. Like, this is not, I'm done. And so she asked me, she's like, you know, can I touch you? And I'm like, um, okay. Well, I'm not sure where this is going, but I'm like, yes, you can. I'm like, yes, you can. And so she took my hand and she said to me, she was like, you know, you are safe here. 
you know, nothing's going to happen. You know, we're not going to take your kids away or anything like that, which I didn't even say anything about it. Like she just like read it from me. She's like, you know, I'm not going to take your kids from you. You know, we're here to help you. And she's like, I'm going to help you, you know, get through all this. Cause she's like, you've had a lot happen in a very short period of time and you have not had the opportunity to process anything at all. And as soon as she said that, of course, the waterworks and everything, you know, I'm breaking down again, crying. She passed me the box of tissues and everything. And we just, you know, we go through and we just, you know, talked and we just started to, you know, develop a plan, you know, for me to work through and to go through, which was amazing. And so, you know, I also, you know, had journaling and things that nature involved with it as well, too. And by combining all those pieces together within four months, I was able to get off of all the medications that I was on. And also dropped the 50 pounds I gained and dropped my pain down to like maybe, you know, like a zero one, two on a bad day, um, you know, at that point. And I remember going back in to see my doctor, you know, after that, because he's kind of like, you know, I was already like on that, you know, going all the time, but now they're finally like starting to kind of like pay attention and look and they're like, well, what's going on? You know, what did you do? And I just said, I'm like, I did all the things that no one was talking to me about you know, basically, you know, just like that. I said, you know, I'm just being honest with you guys. I said, you know, I get it. I understand you don't have time to really like get into my lifestyle and what I'm doing. You know, you guys got 10, 15 minutes tops. You know, I'm not knocking you for that, but this was not working for me. You know, I need to find out what was going on with inside my body. And really I broke it down to the foundation and then just basically built it back up. And so from there, I was like, okay, what can I do with this knowledge that I've obtained? Because I'm like, you know, remembering the times when I'm in these doctor's offices, you know, I'm kind of like looking around at, you know, the lay of the land, so to speak, you know, feeling the energy of, you know, the desperation, the hurt, you know, the just like, this is not, you know, this is not, nothing good is going to happen from this. I just feeling all of that. I was like, that's not a way that a person should live. You know, it's like taking away a person's options, you know, telling them these different things, you know, it's telling them that, you know, they're all, they're, their diagnosis versus saying like, you know what I say often, like you're more than your diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I don't take that on as being, you know, your new identity that you actually can go ahead and have the identity that you want, but it's definitely something that you have to take that time, you know, to kind of look at that and see. And my biggest piece that I had to really, you know, take on for myself was recognize that, you know, do I believe that I can heal? And when I started to believe that I could heal, that's when I really was able to go ahead and open up that door. And so when I was opening up that door, you know, I decided, hey, I'm going to go back to school. You know, I went ahead and got my certifications, you know, to be a master health and life coach, you know, transformational coach as well, um, Reiki energy healer, you know, because I'm, I'm all about the energy and everything as well too, and being able to recognize that. And then also, you know, doing a um, preventative for chronic pain as well too certification. And so putting all those pieces together and deciding that, hey, you know what, I want to be a life coach for those that are living with chronic pain. You know, I get it. I understand it. You know, I've lived it. I've had the lived experience of, you know, being bedridden, being told, you know, all these different things. And with me, I'm the type of person that, you know, if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to do it twice and make sure I document it with pictures or video just so we can go ahead and show you and see that I can do this because it's like, you know, don't put me in a box. Don't put me in a corner and say you can't do these things because that's not how I operate. And initially, you know, when I was being told that, you know, my body was fighting with me, you know, my mind and everything. And so when those things were happening, it's like my body was like, like, okay, like, you know, this is not you, but if this is how you want it to be, we're, you know, we're, you know, hands, you know, hands off, you know, okay. 
And when I was able to go ahead and recognize that and really start moving back into myself and back into my own intuition, everything just started to take off for me where I was recognizing, you know, the different things that I needed to go ahead and do. And at the same token, you know, being able to reach out and even attracting the people that need that assistance and need that guidance. And really for me, I recognize that, you know, people of color and women are the ones that have the highest rates of chronic pain and chronic conditions. But there's so many things that are going on, you know, even systemically that, you know, they're not being served properly. You know, they're being dismissed. You know, I just told you three instances, you know, almost four, you know, as far as for times that that was happening just to me. And I've heard so many different horror stories, you know, from people as well, right. too. And as, I would say, you know, as have I, yeah. Yes. And <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not like anti, you know, Western medicine or anything like that. But my thing is that there are other alternatives that are available. And if those aren't being shown to other people, they don't know. As the saying goes, you don't know what you don't know. Right. You know, so when you don't know what other options are available and when you're at your wit's end, you know, you're like, what, what should I do? And I remember, you know, coming out with like stacks of information, you know, each time I'm coming out of these appointments and I'm like, well, number one, I have a migraine. I can't read this right now. Like I'm trying to, you know, it's like, I can't, you know, look at this stuff. Who can help me to decipher this information? And even for myself, I was like, you know, I needed a me, you know, when I was going through all this to be able to go ahead and direct me and show me, you know, what can I be doing? What should I be doing? You know, how can I go about this? And so that's really how everything came into play you know, for myself to be able to go ahead and do what I'm doing now. And I mean, it's, it's been an uphill battle, you know, let me tell you. And it's like, you know, I'm always learning, you know, things every day and growing, you know, going through that, that healing journey that is, you know, it's never ending, you know, you get different yeah. triggers and things that pop up every now and again as well too. I had some even pop up this weekend, you know, just like how it just always, you know, ends up happening that way. But at the end of the day, you know, my biggest piece is that I want people to know that, they have other options available. As long as you believe that you can heal, that's honestly the first step. So that's so, pretty much my my story there, Dylan, in the short form. <laughs> I, I obviously have so many, we have so many directions we can take this, but I have a really focused question about what you just said, right? This, this belief that people are almost required to manifest, because I, I certainly agree with you, is that there's there's a necessity for the choice of believing that you can overcome, believing that you can heal, believing that you can work through this stuff, like however you want to call it, there's a choice that needs to be made. Right. Now, when, when you work with people or when you are trying to uh, help people understand that choice, what do you find helps them make that choice in, in, a, in a realistic fashion? Like what, what helped you make that choice for yourself? What helps or what helps the people that you work with, um, what helped the people that you've researched, you know, talk to, whatever. What do you think? Um, I would say the biggest thing is like your why. Like what's your, what's your why behind it? And that's honestly with anything that you're doing. Like why do you, you know, why do you want to get better? Why do you want to heal? You know, what are the things that you're looking at? And also then from there, establishing anchors to attach back to that why. And so like for me, for example, I, you know, we all got this fun thing, you know, around us. And so I have my screensavers, my children, you know, they were really the ones, like the three of them, a picture of the three of them, even though it's a little bit older now and it's hard to get them together, but, you know, getting, you know, having that information there to just be able to look at and show like, Hey, these are, you know, my, my visual anchor, you know, for myself. I also end up getting myself a tattoo that says my story isn't over. 
And I'm able to go ahead and look at that every single time when I'm like, eh, you know, you're having those moments where I'm like, okay, I don't feel like doing these different things. Um, also, I have like a motivational playlist that I have as well, where I have like motivational songs for myself. So that way, if I'm having those moments where I'm just not feeling it, go ahead and pop my music on, be able to go ahead and listen to that. Um, I'm also a very scent oriented person. And so I have like different candles and things. I actually just created a candle line. We'll talk about that later. Um, but, you know, just like all those different, you know, pieces that I've had to just, you know, be able to kind of pull those things together. And those are things that I have my clients, you know, look at and do as well too. Where I have them look at, okay, you know, what is your why? What's your, you know, and sometimes they'll say, oh, because I want to lose weight or, you know, I've been told if I lose weight, then that's going to help. And I'm like, well, what do you think is going to actually help? You know, I kind of have to dive into the, you know, it's going to be deeper than you want to lose weight. You know, what really is, you know, the, that's the thing that's going to be the needle mover for you. That's going to really, you know, make you do the things you want to do because it's ugly. You know, it's, it's basically like the whole, you know, it's like a butterfly. It's like, you're in that chrysalis with the gunk and everything on you. That's what you're basically going through, you know, within this journey. And when you're going through that, there are going to be the times you're looking at yourself like, this is ugly. Like, I don't even want to look at myself in the mirror. I don't know. Like I, there are times I looked at myself, I'm like, how did I get to this? You know, how did I get to this point in my life where I thought that I was going to be actually starting over my life, but not like this, you know, this is not the way I wanted it to go down. But at the same token, I recognize that, you know, the universe was trying to get my attention. And I'll say like my little, my quick, you know, piece on that is that this car accident that I was in was actually the fourth accident that I was in. But the thing is that every time I was in a car accident, people were hitting me. Mm-hmm. And so it was never a situation where I hit anyone. It was them actually hitting me. And I kind of yeah. have a little, you know, thing behind myself saying that, you know, my attention was trying to be, you know, gotten and it was not gotten until this major, you know, situation happened where now it's kind of ended up redirecting me into my purpose, which is really, you know, being of service and really just helping people to get back to themselves and be able to go ahead and get back into using their own intuition because so often we're pulled away. You know, we're told, you know, even when you go to school, you know, you're told to be quiet, sit there, you know, listen to the teacher, you know, like all these different things where like there's some kids that just can't, you know, they can't sit because that's not in them to be able to go ahead and sit like that because that's not their learning style. So, I mean, there's so many different things that kind of, you know, come into play that you're looking at and even like belief systems and things to, you know, dismantle, so to speak, and let people know, you know, hey, this is how you can live your life the way that you want it to be. And that you also can go ahead and have that opportunity to reestablish the way you want things to be as well. Do you, do you think that, um, and this, I, this is more of a personal question for you. Um, do you think that the, the, the traumas that happened childhood um, throughout your young adult life kind of, it's, this question is really, it's, it's a complicated question. So I don't know exactly how to ask it, but, do you think those those pieces of your history um, are things that you have dealt with in in response to the immediate problem of obviously this accident and the chronic pain? Do you think if if that's that forced you to look at things beyond that accident, look at those four accidents and the things that happened before, and and how did that kind of come come to being in terms of how you're dealing with things now? Very good question. I would say long story short, yes, <laughs> you know, definitely, you know, I could say that, you know, and even looking at, you know, doing research and different things like that too, 
that if you don't deal with, you know, your traumas and things that happened, you know, on the emotional side of it, that it can manifest itself in the body and come out as physical pain as well, too. And that's definitely, you know, part of what was going on with me where I was like, okay, I've knocked down, like I mentioned, you know, I was kind of like around like a two or so, you know, on my pain. And I was like, well, what is this last, like, you know, piece, like what's going on? Like, let me go ahead and kind of look and research deeper into it. And that's when I discovered that some of the stuff that happened to me, I say the majority of it, like I mentioned before, I didn't deal with, you know, I just basically put in the box and threw it over my shoulder and was like, we'll deal with it one day, but today is not that day, you know, and it was like, and all of a sudden it had to be all these things happen to then force me to actually sit. I was literally forced to sit down and pay attention to what was going on, almost similar to what was happening in the beginning of the pandemic when everyone was just like, what the hell is going on? You know, what am I, you know, it's like it forced everyone to sit down and be like, okay, you have to now be with yourself. You know, I have to actually, you know, kind of look at yourself in the mirror, or, you know, so to speak and yeah. see what's going on. And I, I basically had a crash course of that, you know, prior to it. So it kind of almost prepared yeah. me for when, this initially happened because it's like, you know, not being able to process, like I said before, knowing how to process it. And because I didn't know how to process it, I just put it in the box and threw it away. And was just like, Hey, one day it'll pop up. But unfortunately everything popped up at the same time. And it's like, Whoa, <laughs> yeah. how did this happen at one time? But you know, that is definitely, you know, very true that it did end up, you know, unfortunately happening to me that way, but then also recognizing too, that now, from working through it, it definitely, you know, released a lot, you know, from the, you know, the emotional ties in my body. Yeah. And it's, it, it's so, you know, I'm curious, how do you think, how do you think as a person of color that has impacted how you actually perceive trauma or, you know, how, how has that played an impact or role in, in how you've actually looked at this your whole life? Um, definitely seeing like the systemic things that have actually occurred, you know, even just like within this country when it comes to like the medical system, you know, for example, being able to be conscious of that and looking at that and, you know, recognizing because like for myself and I've mentioned to you, you know, I'm a first generation American. Yeah. So my parents actually immigrated to this country, um, you know, from England, but my mom was originally from Barbados and my dad was from Dominica. And so having to kind of learn the lay of a new land myself that my parents weren't really able to guide and direct me through. I'm able to go ahead and kind of look at things from that perspective and that scale. And then also learning, you know, on my own as well too. And, you know, talking with other people and just, you know, seeing what they've gone through and even just looking at the history of our country, you know, as far as for how things have happened, you know, with the, with the medical um, experimentations and things of that nature where, mm -hmm. It makes it very difficult for, you know, some people to, you know, go to the doctor to begin with, because yeah. they're often afraid that they're going to be a science experiment, which has been a historic, you know, it's a historical fact that it has happened. Mm -hmm. And even me, you know, living through it and being that I was actually, like I said before, a science experiment, you know, as well, too. And so recognizing that and knowing that, you know, I don't want people to be afraid of going to the doctor, because the thing is that there are things that do need to be looked at, you know, but at the same token too, you also have some control, you know, you do have control on what you're putting inside your mouth. You know, I'm going to be, be quite honest on what you're, you know, what you're eating, right. you know, but sometimes, you know, you're being told that by you switching the way that you're eating, for example, that you're pulling away from your, you know, your traditions and things of your family. And that part is not hundred percent true that, you know, there are ways that you can go ahead and have, you know, alternatives and still being able to go ahead and pay homage to, 
you know, your ethnicity. So those are things that, you know, you can definitely go ahead and take a look at and see and just making, you know, tweaks. You know, it's like, I'm not telling people that they can't eat, you know, certain certain things, but I'll tell you that, hey, this is what the um, repercussions are on your body if you continue to eat these particular items because your body is basically trying to tell you that this is not working for you and you're ignoring those signs. <laughs> so being able to go ahead and, you know, kind of have that teaching moment and experience to kind of give that additional information to be able to help. But at the same time too, recognizing that these are, this is information that's not readily taught at schools. You know, you're not really being taught, you know, what you should be eating for your body, how different, um, you know, herbs and spices and things like that could actually be helping and be beneficial, you know, for your body or even building up your immune system. I mean, we've been, you know, so, so much stuff has been talked about about your immunity and everything during this pandemic. And it's all about things that, you know, once again, what you're putting in your body. Also, you know, looking at not, and when I say you don't diet, I don't even talk about just like that piece, you know, as far as what you're putting in, but also to what are you observing? You know, what are you dealing with as far as when it comes to media? You know, what are you looking at when it comes to the news, you know, your social media, you know, all those different pieces and even, you know, having the wrong type of people around you, you know, as well as another piece where, you know, you can have those energy vultures, you know, so to speak, or, you know, the, the Debbie Downers, or however you want to call them that are, you know, basically, you know, pulling those, you know, pulling those energies are just saying, you know, negative things to you that are bringing you down. And then that's going to that then is, you know, affecting your mental health, because now you're thinking that, you know, you don't have, you know, these options available to you when in reality you do and being able to go ahead and kind of changing that mindset as well, because often, you know, you, you are a product of your environment in some instances, but then you also do have the choice to make those changes. But sometimes it's hard to make those changes because you don't see the options that are available to you because you're kind of having that tunnel vision. Right. You know, you're just used to the environment that you're in and then, you know, you might have the hopes and aspirations, but you don't know which way to go to, you know, move forward. And even though now we got Google and YouTube university and all those different things like that, you know, that you're able to go ahead and look at, you yep. know, now the kids even nowadays have a little bit more of an edge, you know, than we do just because they are, you know, taking advantage of the technology, but then you got to look at that too, because that's a whole nother, you know, whole yeah. nother ball of wax, you know, as well. But I think those are all, you know, pieces right there that, you know, come together, you know, when it comes to looking at, you know, the, the pain management as a whole, you know, just as being a person of color and just kind of looking at how systemically, unfortunately, things have not been fair. And that's just, you know, that's not a lie. That's, that's the truth. You know, that you can look at all the records and things and see that that's how things unfortunately have been stacked up. And, and I think it's, I think it's important to point out that it's not just like the the immediate systemic issues it's it's the secondary systemic issues of of the things that aren't very uh very easy to research and understand this is where qualitative data is really important important because you understand these interviews you have anecdotal evidence of you know not just one person many people that are talking about this is how this white doctor treated me as a person of color this is how this person treated me um, as a nurse, as a, you know, as, as the, how the treatment of people of color is versus white people or other people. Like it's, it's important to understand that there's more than just the systemic kind of policies and how people, you know, immediately treat each other. It's also like 
do I even feel like as a person of color, I would imagine this is relatable. Do I even feel like going into a hospital full of white people that are just going to tell me what I'm doing wrong? Right. Like I, I imagine that's, that's just one aspect of this. And then you compound that with many different other feelings in terms of, you know, how not only the media has portrayed uh, white people, but also how white people have actually acted mm -hmm. historically, right? Like this is a reality. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, with, with that being said, I'm curious, is there, you know, I'm a white person. Is there something that you notice white people do, right? And, and this is, you know, I don't want this to be political. I want, this is a discussion. So if I'm doing it wrong, I want to know, is there something that I'm doing as a white person or other people do as white people that are not uh, respectful of, of people of color, of other cultures? Um, you know, what, what can we do better to, to, to be respectful of not only your color, but your race and your history and all of these things that are really important to you. What are your yeah. thoughts? Definitely. There's a bunch of things, but I'm going to go with like, you know, the, the <laughs> initial is just, you know, number one, you know, educating yourself, but also to acknowledgement. You know, I, I've often heard people say, oh, well, I don't see color. And that is like the worst thing that you can say is that you don't see color because that means you're not seeing me as a person. You're not seeing yeah. my actual experience. So it's like, don't, don't say that or say, you know, I got a, I got a black friend, you know, like, don't do that. Like, <laughs> you don't need to say like, you know, you don't need to say, well, you know, I got black friends, you know, I can't, I can't be racist because I have black friends, you know, like those kind of like comments and things like that where it's like, well, no, you know, have you actually had a conversation with that friend and asked them about different things that has happened to them in their lives? Nine times out of 10, you probably haven't. So you probably haven't, you know, recognized what has happened in their life to actually understand why they feel the way that they do about certain things. And so that's really that first part is just the acknowledgement, but also going ahead and you know, educating yourself. I feel like, you know, people of color, we don't have to actually educate you about what has happened systemically. It is documented. You know, you can go ahead and take a look, you know, at that as well too. I mean, there's different, definitely like different books that you can read. Um, one very good one, and it's a long one, but it's called Medical Apartheid. And it actually shows about, it gives the whole history of the United States going back to colonial times up until the year that the book was unpublished, which I wanna say is like maybe 20, well, actually it's right behind me, but so I'll to look in a second. But it actually, and I believe it's by Harriet, wanna say Harriet Washington, but I'll grab it in a second. But it actually gives the history of, you know, why people of color are very sketchy when it comes to, you know, going in and actually, you know, having research and things done because it does talk about the Tuskegee experiment you know it does talk about Henrietta Lacks you know all these different people that were experimented on that you know this information is still being used to this day and even looking at how you know some of the doctors even as close as I want to say a couple of years ago are still you know kind of showing that hey they assume that people of color have a higher threshold for pain which is that all comes back to slavery time where that was just something that basically was, you know, instilled in master's mind, you know, so to speak. So that way he didn't have that, um, that guilt, you know, as far as your punishment of, you know, the slaves and things of that matter. So, I mean, it, it goes really deep that it's yeah. like, you know, you really want to go ahead and it's not for the faint of heart, but at the same time, it's also still needs to be recognized. And there's a lot of people that will say, you know, and I've heard, you know, different, you know, you know, why people say that, well, I didn't do it. 
you know, that was my ancestors. So why do I have to, you know, why do I have to apologize for it? Why do I, it's like, well, it's not even an apology. It's more or less, first of all, acknowledging that it happened. And then yes, you can apologize for your ancestors because they're the ones that got you here, you know, and there's some things that you might even still might even be saying, you know, jokingly, you know, or, you know, saying things like, oh, I don't want to go into, you know, go into the city. You know, I don't want to get robbed or, you know, all these kind of things like that. Like I've heard people say those things, you know, and it's just like, wow. And even being a person myself of color that I actually grew up in a all white neighborhood. You know, I was the only, I was the only black person in my neighborhood, you know, almost up until the time that we moved out and when my parents actually moved. So it's like for 21 years and being able to, you know, witness the things that were said to me and just, you know, looking at all those pieces. And it really came back to, un, you know, uneducated people not knowing, you know, what to say or what to do and just looking at me because of me being a different color that they couldn't, you know, relate when reality, you know, there are some pieces that, you know, we can definitely all relate, you know, relate upon, but I know that my experience has definitely been different, you know, than yours and vice versa. And that's okay. You know, that's something that, you know, then we can go ahead and have these conversations and be able to, you know, remove the emotion out of it. And oftentimes, you know, we can go ahead and have those discussions to agree to disagree you know, as well too. And I can be, you know, and I can be passionate because sometimes, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, a person might not understand if a person is, you know, being passionate. So, you know, they might be talking louder and it might be boisterous, but it's not saying that they're trying to, you know, beat you up with their words or anything like that. It's just like, it's like, you know, it's my, you know, it's the passion and everything that's behind it. And that's also just another thing too, being able to, you know, recognize that piece that it's not something that someone's trying to attack you, you know, verbally or physically. It's just that, you know, Hey, this is, this is real stuff. You know, this has really happened. Well, and but let's get to the bottom of it. Let's talk about it. You know, and there's not, and you, if you don't know, like I said before, you don't know what you don't know. So right. having that open space to be able to go ahead and ask a person, like just how you just asked me that question. That's a beautiful question yeah. because that's something that honestly needs to be asked more often. So that right. way we can go ahead and break that piece open and see, okay, now what can we do to move forward because often the questions are, you know, also being asked, but then you're not seeing any solutions that are coming behind it. And so that's another piece of it as well, too. You know, the, the important thing of what you just said is like talking about the passion, right? Like what I think is, is forgotten in many ways is that the, the passion that you show for a subject, like talking about people of color, talking about racism, talking about systemic racism or anything like that is, in many ways, this is a life and death conversation for you. It's not for me, right? I don't have the same problems that you have. I have different problems and very much relatable problems in terms of like what we're, what we're talking about specifically is because historically the veteran community is, is not necessarily, it's nothing like racism, right? But the, the concept of how we talk about it is very similar in terms of how we have historically looked at PTSD and how we've historically looked at trauma. And there's so many different relatable issues like sexual trauma, uh, domestic violence, right? These, these very taboo subjects, suicide is that this, the conversation is not open to people. You know, it's like how your doctors talk to you, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you don't look like a person that has PTSD, Mm -hmm. right? Like, well, you've never been to war. Right. right. Saying that to a, a woman who's, who was raped as a child like that. I mean, that's completely an atrocious thing and malicious thing to say in, in, in now my understanding of educating my own self, right. It's not something I really understood before I actually started looking into 
PTSD and trauma and all of these things. And in many ways, racism is your trauma of, yeah. of your culture and your, uh, your race in many ways. And so we, as you know, I think as, as white people, I don't speak for everybody, but I, I look at you and I understand because I've, I've done the research. I've, I'm a sociology major. That doesn't make me perfect or make me understand the whole issue. It just makes me acknowledge it right. because I know that when I was struggling with suicide and I told my mom about it, the only thing I needed was an acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. That's it. I didn't need her to apologize for any of the behavior that, that maybe pushed me into a, into a situation where I didn't feel comfortable to actually talk about it. Mm -hmm. I just needed her to understand that this is what I'm going through. Right. I don't honestly want an apology. And I imagine that there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people of color out there that don't want an apology. They just don't want to be treated like shit anymore. Right. And be right. acknowledged and be like, I am here. I'm human. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. You know, I shouldn't have to be going through the things that I'm going through that you're <laughs> able to go ahead and walk around, you know, on a regular basis and not have to think yeah. twice about what's going to happen when you leave the house or think twice about what's going to happen to your kids. Yep. You know, even with me, I have a son and I have two, um, you know, two other children and my son, when he first started driving, because he, you know, was going back and forth between Brookfield and Milwaukee and my ex-husband bought him a BMW X3 for his, you know, for him to drive. And I said, you're setting him up. Yeah. And he's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, we are able to afford it. You know, I wish I could have had that when I, you know, I said, I get that. I said, but also you need to look at the real, the real behind it being that, you know, what if he gets pulled over and having those conversations with my son saying, Hey, you know what, make sure that if you do get pulled over, you either a call me or your dad or B you go live on Facebook. Like, I'm like, I don't, you know, if you can't get a hold of us, you know, just to do something. So that way information is documented. It's like, those are things that a lot of people don't have to think about that. You don't have to have that conversation with your child to say, right, when you right. go to the store, don't have your hoodie on, you know, mm -hmm. make sure it's your face, make sure your hands are out of your pockets so that mm -hmm. no one's going to do anything to you. Even like okay. with my, you know, even looking at my son, he was, you know, the same height as me because I'm five, six, he was the same height as me when he was 10. Yeah. And so now he's six, three. So, you know, looking at those, you know, that difference, it's like, you know, he was six, three at 16. And so wow. looking at that, like, you know, you're still a child, but because you're in a man's body, so to speak, now you're looked at as a threat. So, I, I mean, have, there's so many different pieces to look at. I have never had to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. How the hell am I supposed to understand that? Right. Like that's when, when, when we have things like TikTok, things like Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, we have all of these social media sources, we have Google, we have the ability to look at the perspective of other people and understand these stories, because this is not the first time I've heard this, right? right? This, you know, you can go on YouTube and watch stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And if you're if you're not at this point, it's you're you're then apt to making the 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 dismissive and neglectful behavior that hurts people, right? Yeah, because if, you, too. If, if you've ever you know, and, and this is for anybody, if you've ever been to, been through a situation that is hard to talk about and you had that conversation and someone dismissed you, mm -hmm. think about how you feel right now. Like yeah. that would, that would suck. And, and in many ways, our society has done this to, to you, to people of color, to your son, mm -hmm. right. For too long. And we need to, you know, the, it's one of the reasons why I want this podcast to do, to, to be this, right. To have these conversations, you know, I ask hard questions, mm -hmm. right. 
And I, and I have hard conversations. I have hard conversations about suicide. I have hard conversations about racism. You're not the first person of color to be on this podcast. Um, and you won't be the last. I want more. I want to have this conversation openly and honestly. Um, and I want to acknowledge my own ignorance in all of this. And I, you know, in many ways, this is a, a requirement for me is to have conversations about hard topics to understand that I don't know what I don't know. It's such a relatable comment, obviously, because we've both talked about this before. Yes. Um, but we need to have these conversations. We're not perfect individuals, right? And I think we've, we've, you know, maybe, maybe white culture has, has placed themselves on a pedestal of knowing what's right for everybody. And the reality is, is we absolutely do not. And it's important to understand that people of color don't know what's right for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it just, no one does. <laughs> exactly. The, the reality is, is that we don't know what's right for everybody. And so we have to have a conversation to do what's right for as many people as possible, right. you know, and, and, and if we don't have that conversation, if we don't ask these hard questions, we're never going to come to an understanding of that. Right. right? It's, it's that simple. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And that's like the biggest piece. And that's why I always say, you know, often, you know, like I said, about going back to education piece, it's like so often people are like, oh, well, you know, well, well, educate me, teach me. It's like, I don't have the time to teach you yeah. history of what happened. I'm like, you can take the time. I'm like, I can give you some some research topics or whatever, you know, if you need a if you're kind of like leery on the Google search on how you want to do it, like I can give you some like some pointers. But it's yeah. like other than that, it's like that's not my responsibility. You know, it's for me, it's like we are even in school, we are taught white history. You yep. know, you, you might get something during Black History Month, which is this, you know, today's the last day, you might get something there. But after that, it goes right back into that. And even my kids, you know, often say to me, they're like, well, mom, we didn't learn about, you know, this or that. And I've taken the time to actually educate them about different pieces as well, because of them, you know, their dad's from here, you know, from the United States, like I'm giving them that history, but then I'm also giving them, you know, the history from the West Indies as well, too, just that way they can have more. And then they also look at world history as well. So that way they have, you know, that view, but they're saying, you know, often like they're not being taught these different things. And I'm like, yeah, because unfortunately history has been whitewashed. And so therefore it's not showing the other parts of it that have happened as well, too. And I said, you know, and that's like, even talking about like black wall street, for example, you know, they're not quite sure about, you know, they learned about that because of me teaching them that information but they never you know knew that or even looking at how even looking at like new york for example how um whatchamacallit central park you know how that actually was made you know looking at all those different pieces that that was you know initially a black neighborhood that the city bought and basically plowed down and said now we're going to put a park here you know it's like and it was a thriving community and so it's like you know looking at the different things that have happened you know from different systemic aspects once again it does, you know, unfortunately go back to that. But then now we're looking at all of the ramifications from it, even looking at like redlining, for example, which, yeah. you know, that was part of, you know, the whole, that whole entire situation, you know, as yeah. well, too. And looking at that and, you know, recognizing like, for example, with my parents, you know, moving into the neighborhood that they were at, you know, like I said, they were the only people of color in that neighborhood. And I'm just guessing because my father, my last name is French. And so when you're looking at that, you're not, you know, you're kind of, they are looking at the applications and things. And so they can't really do much on that. You know, you get your approval based off of paperwork, you know, and then all of a sudden they look and you come in, they're like, whoa, we're looking for a French man. You know, we're not looking for, you know, we're not looking for, you're not kind of matching the bill of what we were looking for, but okay. You know, we've already approved you. We can't take it back now. You know, it's like, we kind of have to, you know, go through and do things. And so 
it's, you know, scary things like that, that you have to unfortunately do, you know, to be able to kind of slide under the radar, so to speak, and be able to kind of move forward. But it's like, those are things that shouldn't have to be done. You know, you should be able to go ahead and look at my credentialing or looking at, you know, the, the, you know, what, what education, I mean, like all those different pieces, you know, you should be able to go ahead and look at those things and not just determine it based off of looking at a person's color or, or their name for that matter as well, too, which that can go into a whole other, you know, aspect because I did HR. So I know like all that, you know, kind of, you know, goes as well, too. But it's just so many pieces that come together that then at the end of the day, you know, going back to what I do, it ends up, you know, your lifestyles ending up affecting the way that your body reacts. And so all these pieces are then, you know, turning back into, okay, why do we have such high rates of diabetes, heart disease, you know, all these different pieces? Well, let's look at how, you know, what parts of you are being stressed, you know, on a regular basis. And the stress is what's really then in essence causing inflammation in your body, which then is turning around, you know, causing the pain. So, you know, it's like all these things, you know, are all put together. And that's why when I look at things, I talk to my clients about their lifestyles. You know, I get deep into it. You know, I talk about some of the traumas and things that occurred. You know, we see if we need to go ahead and direct them out to actually speaking to a psychologist because I am not a therapist. I don't play one on TV. I don't want to be, you know, like even though often I'm being asked to be one, but it's like, you know, I'm, I'm in this position, you know, for a reason, because it's like, I can then triage you off to whoever, you know, you can, you know, you will need, but just be able to go ahead and first, you know, recognize that because sometimes, you know, too, I'll be talking to people and they're like, oh, well, you know, I just had this happen. And it's just like, dude, that's major. Yeah. (laughs) Like you just put, you know, you're dismissing your Mm -hmm. own experience because others have dismissed your experience. So because that has happened, you don't realize how much that experience is actually affecting you throughout your life. You know, even people that say, you know, I don't need anybody. I'm good you got abandoned so many different times that you've just gotten to that point where it's like, you don't want to even put it off on anyone else that you're just, you know, vigilant, you're hyper vigilant, you know, for yourself as far as for that, you know, aspects. So, I mean, there's all these different pieces that then end up still affecting your body. And, and I want to, I want to go into that because that, that is from what I've seen in like the, the race debate, I've seen that as a, uh, as a stereotyping of, of, people of color and and the culture like black culture and the reality is is that that happens to white people just as much it just happens in a different way mm-hmm. right there the the dismissiveness uh within the different cultures is is real like that's a human thing mm-hmm. um and i and i want to bring some light to that because you know we as we as people have a really hard time accepting when we're wrong we have a really hard time accepting when we don't know something. Um, and if it's not practiced, if it's not understood, or if it's not acceptable in, in our lives, there's, there's such a commonality between all humans. Doesn't, I don't give a shit what race you are, right? Mm-hmm. Between all humans to say, get over it. Right. right? I've, I've done the work. Now it's your turn, right? There's, right. there's this expectation that especially in, ch- in childhood, that we, that we try and build strong people. And yeah. it's, it's funny. Cause like, there's, there's this quote that I keep hearing um, that's used a lot. And I'm, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with it, but I don't agree with it. And it's that, that mentality of like uh, hard times make uh, hard men and hard men make soft 
time or like soft times and soft times make whatever and, and soft times make weak men. And I'm like, one, I agree, but I also disagree, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's this, this concept of like two things can be true at the same time. Right. Um, one that that's wrong fundamentally and that it's also not wrong. Right. And I, and I think of that in terms of how it's made, right? Hard times make hard men. I agree. Mm-hmm. Not always a good man right. that is made, right? Hard right. and good are not synonymous, right? That's why they're two different words. Yep. And uh, soft and weak are not the same thing and, and not synonymous as well. And so when you look at that, like you're not, it's a quote, that's mm-hmm. it. It's, yep. it's not fact, right? Mm-hmm. What, how, what you think, what a, what a baby boomer and a Gen Xer thinks mm-hmm. is hard and weak are, or strong and soft and good and bad are very remarkably different than what a millennial thinks and what a Gen Z thinks. Right. And that's, that's what I think we're really coming up against is this, this completely transformational uh, time in human history. That is the internet, that is social media, um, that is completely changing how we actually look at interaction, right? right? Because what, what you've seen from Facebook and Instagram, right? The, the family drama on Facebook, the perfection of Instagram, uh, the, the learning of YouTube, the, the, I don't even know, the mean tweets of Twitter, right? <laughs> and now you look at TikTok, and I'm not saying TikTok's perfect, but TikTok's super real, right? And I have a little bit of experience with TikTok. I've been watching it for a long time. There's some realness on TikTok that have that was never exposed in Facebook. That was never exposed in in Instagram, because ideas have been uh, not only adopted but understood, filtered, and built and created and crafted and honed for the last ten years of social media at a rate that has never been possible anywhere else. Is there misinformation? Absolutely. Is it not always right? Absolutely. But there's stuff that's coming out, right? Expression, I think, is one of those things, right? The ability to understand things like narcissism and empathy, uh, the the ability to understand what is mental health, what is stress, what is trauma, uh, what is PTSD, what is mental illness, um, what is the body connections to the mind, um, things like that are coming out of the the woodwork, and we're looking that at that in, in context, contextual ideas that were given to us by Gen Xers, our parents, our grandparents, our authorities. Um, and we're looking at it and we're saying, you've been speaking bullshit because you don't know what, you don't know what you're doing. Right. Right. And the reality is, is that what they think is hard. Right. And I, I don't want to make it in us versus them, but the idea of what people of a, a different generation think is right and wrong Mm-hmm. just not at all pl- apply to the future right. right right now at least like in in the internet era right certainly it applies in certain circumstances right because being hard in hard times is a requirement or you're gonna die right like i think of it like peace and war mm-hmm. here at home because i'm a veteran i know a lot about war and i know a lot about peace right i know that i cannot act peaceful in afghanistan when i'm right. fighting the taliban right? Because they'll kill me, right? Mm-hmm. And I cannot act like I'm at war in my home with my wife and son, because I might kill them, right? right? And so 
there's there's a very important understanding that I think the the wars that we have fought in the last 20 years have really taught us, if we're willing to look at it mm-hmm. as humanity, that we need to understand how to actually differentiate what it means to be hard, right? when we have to be hard, yep. and if that's even good or not. Mm-hmm. Um, because oftentimes it is just not, right? We're seeing a war in, war in Ukraine, and that's, that's a whole nother subject, mm-hmm. right? Conducted by potentially it could be someone in, in the contextual idea of what Hitler was. We don't know. We, we just don't know right now. But it's, it's so important to understand like the generational differences of how we actually look at hard versus soft, good versus bad, right versus wrong, and that these things are changing. Right. And we need to, in many ways, have these conversations in which we say to these people in authority mm-hmm. that we actively disagree. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And that's the piece of it, too, that, you know, with everything that you were saying as well, just, you know, looking at it all, you know, often we were, you know, put into that spot of, you know, a child should be seen and not heard and not being able to really, you know, explain or voice, you know, different concerns that are happening or at the same token too, what happens in this house stays in this house and not being able to go ahead and have those conversations where it's like now it's like, no, like all these like all these different traumatic things are happening you know, to people, to kids and stuff like that. And now like they're coming out and talking about it. And it's like, I have so many, you know, clients that I've spoken to that have told me things that are jaw dropping Yeah. that are just like, I can't, like, I just want to like hold them and like cradle them like a baby and just tell right. them like, okay, you know, just like, be, just to give them that opportunity, you know, and to even have, you know, safety in your own body, yeah. you know, just from having all those different things that happen that, you know, I had, that was something I had to learn you know, to actually, you know, calm down my own, you know, nervous system, just to be able to go ahead and actually like, you know, take in the information, you know, to be able to like heal myself, you know, just like on a, on a cellular level, you know, just being able to look at all those different pieces, but it's like, you hit it right on the head that there's just so much that has occurred that, you know, trying to talk to someone, like, for example, my father's 83, he has chronic pain. Okay. He will not take any, you know, anything that I say, because I'm his daughter. You know, regardless of what it is, like we're in his doctor's appointment and his doc, you know, I'm talking to his doctor about what I do. And she looks at him and looks at me, she's like, you have a chronic pain doc, you know, a chronic pain coach as a daughter and you have chronic pain and you don't want to listen to her and what she's like, you know, advice and things that she's giving you. And he just is like, well, you know, and he's, she's like, no, it's not a well, you know, anything like you have the perfect <laughs> person here to help you right. and you don't want to, you know, take on the things that need to be done. And, you know, it's like, for me, I had to really remove my own emotion and things like that from out of it and just say, Hey, you know what, this is your journey. You know, I can't, and, you know, inflict and force anything. All I can do is just assist. So you let me know where you want me to assist at and where you don't. And we just have to, you know, I have to let it go because it's like, you know, you want, you want the best for your family, friends or whatever, but at the end of the day, you can't live, you know, their life for them. You know, you have to just go ahead and let them, you know, allow and do whatever needs to be done, you know, for them. But it's also hard. You know, it's very difficult to, you know, look at and watch that and see someone deteriorating because they don't want to just drink water. You know, just like, you know, like literally like things that, you know, you that, you know, as being, you know, a factual thing that can help you and that they don't want to go ahead and necessarily do that. And then being able to go ahead and try to dive into, well, where is that coming from? You know, what is that? And it's like, you know being so close to the situation, I'm not going to be, and I know that I'm not going to be able to do that. 
And so being able to go ahead and have someone else try to, you know, come in and assist and things. And so, I mean, there's so many different pieces and levels, you know, to it and the dynamics, like you're mentioning before as well. And even looking at the fact that too, that often, you know, some of the beliefs that we've adapted, we don't even believe, you know, like if you really (laughs) sit down and like, kind of like look at it and be like, well, wait a minute, you know, my parents said such and such. And it's like, when I really step back and look, it's like, well, no, I don't believe that. And yeah. why am I still doing that? You know, why am I still, you know, why are these things, you know, still occurring? But it's all those different pieces like that, that you really have to, you know, take that moment with self and really just kind of get to know yourself and what you really, you know, what you actually need. You know, that's even a piece, you know, as well, that often you'll, you know, you have all these emotions and things like there's, there's a saying that, you know, um, I feel, you know, I feel away. It's something that I hear like a lot of people saying, it's like, well, okay, you feel away, but what is it? And you can't name it because you don't know what to name it because it's been happening for so long that you don't even know what to what to say that it actually is. And that's a scary thing, you know, to to look at that. And I sometimes say it, you know, kind of jokingly. I'm like, well, I'm feeling some type of way. And they're like, like, oh, okay, I get it. I respect. And it's like, well, I didn't really say what way it is, though. Like, (laughs) you know, I'm just kind of like just saying it just because. But it's something that's like been adopted, you know, culturally that, you know, people are just like, okay, well, I get it. You're you're just in a mood, you know, we're not quite sure what the mood is, but right. like able to go ahead and actually put a name on it yeah. and actually say, Hey, you know, this is, I'm feeling sad today or I'm feeling whatever. Like I was even saying this morning, I was like, I was feeling something and I had to recognize that, Oh, it's because I've had a lot of people around me in the last couple of days. And I have not given myself my time because I know me as a person that I take on a lot of different, you know, energies and things and that I need to go and sit down somewhere and just, yeah. you know, decompress and do what I need to do. But if I wouldn't know that, I would still go on, you know, doing as I've been doing. You know, that, like it, that kind of brings me to an understanding of like parenting. Um, you know, we do this to other people as well, right? Like we look at our kid and, and we're saying like, you've got an attitude today. Mm-hmm. And the reality, reality is like we, we don't try to understand in some ways because of my own parenting and, and uh, or my own parent um, and, and what happened in my past of like, we assume that it's all about us as a parent and that, you know, when we're not in control, we assume, and we say like, you've got an attitude today and maybe it's deeper, right? And maybe, maybe us doing that is actually creating a rift between us and our child because they don't feel heard. They don't feel understand, uh, understood. They don't feel like they can talk to us because we just assume that we know what's up. Mm-hmm. rather than having the, you know, the patience and the empathy to say, hold up. And this is where like the difference between hard and soft is, right? Yeah. Like I was told you've got an attitude yeah. and um, I had to deal with that. And so what did I do? I shut up. Yep. Right. And I just, shut down. I just mm-hmm. shut down. Right. And that didn't work for me. So if I continue to do that for my child, um, I can probably expect the same results. That's what we call insanity. Right. Yes. And is that a realistic version of or idea of insanity or definition of insanity? Probably not, but it fits here. And it's important because if, if we not only assume what we know about ourselves and just keep, uh, you know, persisting old habits that, you know, die hard and, and don't do anything for us, mm-hmm. we will also do that for our children. We will also do that for our relationships, right? <laughs> You might say that to your wife or your husband, like you got an attitude today rather than saying, Hey, what's going on? 
What's wrong? Right. What happened? How, how can, how, you know, is there something you want to talk about? Right. Mm-hmm. Even if it's hard, let's talk about it. Right. Like, or even how can I support you today? Yeah. You know, just having like those different types of, you know, questions and conversations as yep. well are huge. Cause I do, I'm very much so on that same thing where it's like, when it comes to my kids, you know, I'm like, I call myself a cycle interrupter where it's like, you know, I'm interrupting what's been going on with them. And I'm having that conversation. I'm asking them and some days I'm good at it. And some days I'm not, you know, yep. and that's yep. okay because I'm human. And I give, you know, I allow myself grace and everything as well. You know, I apologize to them when I'm not, you know, doing it the right way. Same thing with, you know, the person I'm dating right now. You know, I, I will apologize and take accountability and be like, you know what? Hey, my energy was, was shitty. I apologize, you know, for that. Here's what was going on. You know, I just couldn't put a, I couldn't wrap words around it. But now that I sat back and looked at it, you know, this is what it was, or this is what it is. Or I'm trying to figure it out. Yep. And just give me some grace while I'm figuring it out. And then once I figure it out, I'll let you know, you know, <laughs> you know, just yep. like, you know, I'll circle back to you, but you know, it's like just those different, you know, pieces like that. And even like with my kids, you know, they, and I will say this too, you know, that we are right now raising our kids for a world that no longer exists. And that's the part that, you know, is, it can be very earth shattering as well too, where it's like, you know, I'm trying to find out more from them. And I'm definitely raising them differently where they are, you know, they can talk, they can go ahead and have those conversations. And there's sometimes where I'm like, whoa, like, I didn't even know that's what you were thinking or what that was, what was going on. Like you guys are like, they are so smart. They are know so much that it's like, I thought that I was trying to, you know, protect some of that stuff. But it's like, at the same time, I don't want my kids in the bubble either. You know, it's like, I do want them to, you know, kind of know that there are people in the world that are not going to unfortunately like you just because of the way that you look but at the same time you know you still have the way that you can control you know how you react to things how you know things happen that you can go ahead and you can still speak up for yourself and let me know that if there's a like if something happens at school for example which we've had situations that have happened at school that were you know race related you know whatnot as well that I've had to you know intervene in and have conversations with you know with the schools and things that nature to say hey you know what this is not right. This is how this, this is how this came off to us, you know, so that way you can understand and that there might be some cultural, you know, sensitivity courses that you guys might need to, you know, start having in these schools, you know, for example, my um, youngest, because she wears her hair in braids and someone um, said to her that she looked like Medusa. And I'm like, well, we can take this in one of two ways. And I, you know, kind of dug a little bit deeper and I said, well, hey, you know, what else has been said to you? And, you know, saying, oh, well, you know, you look dirty, you know, because of your skin color, you know, some said, okay, so that it was what I assumed it was, but I wanted to kind of get more pieces than I assumed, because, you know, they say when you make assumptions, you make an ass out yourself. So it's like, that's not what I wanted to do. I just wanted to get more background and then being able to go ahead and, you know, contacting the teacher and saying, hey, this is not okay. This is what's been happening. This is what I need you guys to address. Do I need to come in and set up an appointment to meet with you? You know, how are we going to go ahead and address the situation? Because, you know, everyone has the right to be feeling safe and be able to go ahead and get your education, you know, as well too. So, I mean, there's so many different pieces, you know, and so many different layers, you know, to everything that it turns back around to like those beliefs and things like that and what's being passed along, you know, the way. And being able to go ahead and interrupt and intercept that and say, no, this is not okay. This is not what should be happening. And, you know, being able to move forward from there. That's one, you, you sound like an awesome mom, just to just FYI. <laughs> I think, I think it's important to, 
to put it out there. If, if you think, you know, this is not necessary for you, Sarita, more for other people, but like if, if you think that your children are not going to eventually be more savvy about the world around them than you are right, right. now, um, I think you're doing yourself a disservice because children are far more observant than, than adults are. And so they pick up on the nuances of the new world, right? And like you said it earlier, we're, we're raising them for a world that doesn't exist anymore. We're raising them for the world that we grew up in. And that again, like I'm a nineties kid, right? This was before, (laughs) this was long before, uh, internet uh, that, that really, uh, created an impact in kids lives right certainly internet was there but it did not make an impact in children's lives until probably early 2000 mm-hmm. right when when things were like oh i can actually google something this is cool right yeah. like and then you know things actually became available to children um and so we're we're raising children in like we're given we're given babies mm-hmm. cell phones to watch tv yeah, right. to watch YouTube and watch kids yeah. YouTube or whatever, Coco Melon or whatever it is. And right. all that. <laughs> it's a completely different world now. It's a completely different world. And what we're, you know, what we have to realize is that our child uh, needs to have a voice because the sooner they have a voice, I, I don't care what your race is, right? The sooner they have a voice and the, the better they have an understanding of how to express themselves uh, regulate their emotions, which, which requires having conversations about emotions, um, and the ability to discuss things, to disagree, right? Like I, oh my God, the the most important thing in the world for people is to understand how to disagree, right? It's, we don't talk about that. We don't teach that. If you want, if you want to get anywhere with a conversation, right, Sarita, at some point we could disagree on something. And I think we could respectfully appreciate that about each other absolutely that's what i say all the time it's like agree to disagree and it's okay to agree to disagree but not everybody can do that right it's rare it's so rare and if we don't teach our children how to do that and then allow it right Mm -hmm. because once you teach your child to disagree they're going to look at you and be like well hey mom hey Mm -hmm. dad i don't agree (laughs) and then what do you do and and mine do that and they will say that to me they're like you know what I don't agree with that and I'm like okay well give me you know more information as to why you don't because I honestly think my youngest is going to be a lawyer or something because (laughs) her skills are just like off the chain when it comes to like the stuff that she wants where then I end up being like you know what you're gonna get that because I really like your (laughs) like I like what you have to say you know what I'm like, well, then I actually have changed my mind on the way I feel about this now just because of based off of what you said to me and I'll say like thank you Thank you yeah. for sharing your opinion with me and what, you know, where you feel it's coming from. I didn't realize that that was the way that, you know, where you're at, you know, your angle, where you're coming from. It definitely makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's go ahead and, you know, explore this further and see, you know, how we can do this. Like that was definitely not going down in my, <laughs> when right. I was like growing up at all that even like right. my parents were even kind of like looking at me, you know, like how I do things differently because you know, I was a teen mom. So like I had my son when I was 18. So I graduated high school in June, had him in September. And so we really kind of like ended up kind of growing up with each other, you know, so to speak. And then having my, you know, my other two, you know, a little bit later on down the line where they're between my um, oldest and my middle one is seven years. And then my oldest and youngest is 10 years. 
So they definitely had that huge, you know, gap. So then my son kind of almost was like a, like a surrogate dad, you know, so to speak, you know, dad was there and everything because my ex-husband, but, you know, just from him, you know, kind of being around. So that also, you know, changed his experience yep. and having to even talk to him about that and even having to have that, you know, the apology to him being like, you know what, you shouldn't have had to watch your sisters, you know, that much because, you know, your dad and I were working or you shouldn't have had to, you know, do these different things and being able to, you know, take accountability for that and say like, you know what, acknowledging that, yeah, you did grow up pretty fast, you know, because of having to go ahead and do those different things that, you know, with him, even looking at my, um, my younger two, like my son is self-sufficient. Like he can do everything. He can, you know, he can change tire. He can cook a meal. Like he can do like all these, you know, and he's like well-rounded. But then when I look at my younger two, I'm like, do you even know how to cook? Do you know how to wash clothes? You know, like all like, just like the basic things that, you know, to be able to take care of yourself. I recognize that I kind of spoiled them, you know, and didn't necessarily do as much with them as I, you know, ended up doing with him and being able to go ahead and kind of look at those things right. and being able to recognize it. And even looking at, for example, too, saying, I love you, you know, for example, like when I was raised, you know, not to knock my parents, but that I did not hear. I didn't hear. I love you, Sarita. You know, I didn't recognize hearing that. I didn't actually start hearing that until I was in my twenties. And the reason why that ended up happening was that um, my son at the time when I had him, that's like one of the biggest things I was like, you're, I'm going to always tell you, I love you because that was one piece I didn't get. So you're going to know it. That's, you know, that's the bottom line. So we were at my parents' house and my son was about two at the time and we're getting ready to leave. And that's when they were still living up here. We're getting ready to leave the house and my son crawls up onto my dad's lap and he gives him a hug and a kiss, which that also was another taboo thing, which never remember like those kind of things happening either. And he goes, you know, Papa, I love you. And my dad just starts laughing. He's like, all right, see you later. And my dad and my son's like, no. And he said to him, he's like, no, he's like, mama said that you have to say, I love you before you leave. Like, this is from a two-year-old, you know, saying this. And then my dad, and he like is holding my dad's face. He's like, my mom said that you have to, you know, do this. And so my dad was like, okay. He's like, well, I love you. And then I was just like, I started crying because like, I'd never heard him say that. And I was like, you know, 20, almost 21 years old, you know, hearing my father for the first time saying that. And of course now he's, you know, says that, you know, now, so it's took me as well, my son's going to be 23. So he's like, you know, all these years now he's finally, you know, doing it. And even was similar with my mom, where my mom, you know, was like, you know, saying that, you know, at that point as well too, but it really took me instilling that into him and a two-year-old to kind of disrupt you know, the things that were happening to say, hey, you know what, this is an emotion that needs to be, you know, talked about and shared. And, you know, and I need to, I need my hugs, you know, I need my, you know, I need those different things to, you know, help me out and to recognize that. And so that's like a huge, you know, piece within itself that then I even, I often tell that story and people are like, what? I'm like, yeah, it was him. He's the one that was a disruptor that, you know, and I, I, you know, I instilled it in him, but he really was the one that, you know, made it happen and made that change in our family. Yeah. That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty incredible, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, you know, it's, it's important to, to recognize, especially what you just said is like, you treated, you treated your children differently yeah. and not, it wasn't, you know, in, in many ways it was intentional, mm-hmm. but it, 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 there's, there's always going to be a little bit of ignorance in, in parenting right? Yeah. We're, we're, we're trying our best to do what we think is right. We don't always understand what's right initially. And so when we have a first kid, you know, we're, we're going to have to learn how to apologize for, for not being what, you know, what the second kid got or third kid got. Um, 
and, and help them understand that it wasn't your intention to, to make it that hard on them. Uh, it, you know, it was your first experience. And, you know, I love that you have the ability to have those conversations with them, you know, and, and be able to, to show him how to emotionally stand up for himself, because that's, I think that's such a powerful thing to be able to do, especially now, um, you know, is to be disagreeable and to say, hold on, that's not comfortable for me. I know it might be comfortable for you, but I don't like that. And, and when you have the ability to do that, you have the ability to minimize the amount of stress that's actually, you know, thrust upon you by people that are more selfish than selfless. Right. And, and not to say that selfishness is bad because it certainly is good in circumstances. It can be certainly bad in circumstances. Um, but if you don't learn how to hold space for yourself, hold boundaries for yourself, right. I'm reading a book called, uh, when the body says, no, I don't know if you've read that before. Um, I have not. I've, I've read the, when the body keeps the score, <laughs> oh, man. you know, I, I love the body keeps the score, but when the body says no might be my, my next favorite, you know, it's, it's, you know, it talks about stress on a level that is, that is not even comparable to uh, when the body or body keeps the score. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very similar book, but different, different uh, situation. Uh, Gabor Mate does a really incredible job and it's, it's really profound to see like the, the auto, the autoimmune system and how it in like how it manages stress and what we actually look at as stress. And I've always understood like there's good stress and bad stress. Mm -hmm. Well, in this book, it says there's no, there's no good stress, right? Yeah. It's just stress. And so the body can't differentiate between good and bad stress. It's just fucking stress. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it, like it's, it's changing my mind. It's changing how I look at things in many ways and understanding that, you know, I've got some, adjustments to make in my own lifestyle in terms of how I, how I approach things, because I'm not managing stress very well in many ways. Um, you know, there's, there's, I've, I've always thought there's good stress. Let's, let's focus on doing stuff that does stress me out a little bit, right? I'm military. So stress yeah. is a part of my life in many ways. Um, and obviously I'm not going to be able to manage that very well because the army's going to tell me what to do and I'm going to, I'm going to have to do it unless I disagree with it. Uh, in terms of it's not ethical or moral or legal. Um, right. But the reality is, is I'm going to have to do what I have to do. Um, but I'm not in the military all the time, right? I'm home. I'm, I'm, you know, operating a business and I can very much so operate in a way that is not stressful and really understand that if I don't say no, then I am creating stress for myself uh, that will live within my body and my body's eventually going to say no for me. Right. And that's where autoimmune uh, disorders come from. It sounds like, right. There's obviously no scientific data that's confirming all of this stuff, but there's a whole lot of information's pointing to the direction that autoimmune disorders in many ways are, are very much created by high stress environments, high stress situations that have maintained themselves that haven't been processed trauma, uh, abuse, uh, being a people pleaser, right? All of these things that we, we know are not good for us, but we really don't know the consequences uh, until I read when the body says no. And I haven't finished it yet, but I mean, just the, just the first chapter is like, oh boy, right? Yeah. There's, there's so much to it. And, and we really need to have a deeper conversation about uh, 
pleasing people very much so because if that's all you do in your life you are you are destroying yourself and you don't if you don't have the ability like your son mm -hmm. to say hold up yep i disagree mm -hmm. right i can't do that for you yep. right um and and obviously this is something that i think you and i very much emulate in in many ways is being able to say this is what i can do for you and this is what i can't do for you and very much knowing our own boundaries. And that's why um, I have no doubt that you're, you're a great coach, right? I have no doubt, right? Just because I, you know, just listening to you and understanding you, how you approach problems, like no doubt, right? And part of that, I think, comes from the ability to say, this is what I know I can do for you. This is what I know I cannot do for you. And you need to expect yourself to actually approach this problem where I cannot. And, and that ability is remarkably profound. I think it's it's rare, but I think it's growing in a lot of people. I think people like you and I speaking about this and sharing this stuff and talking about how we got to this point um, is the ultimate uh, reason it is growing. And yeah. so we need to keep doing that, obviously. No, absolutely. And that's the thing. It's like, like you said, you know, having these conversations and being able to look at things. And like, I definitely knew that part about the stress and everything, because that's part of my research and everything and kind of recognizing because yeah. of me being diagnosed with, you know, fibromyalgia and my, my fascial pain syndrome yeah. and looking at those things and seeing, you know, okay, well, where can that have possibly originated? Because a lot of it is just, you know, finding out what the foundation is. And like, you know, so many of us, our foundations are shot, you know? <laughs> so it's like, now we're kind of looking back and trying to rebuild them and you know figure out what can go ahead and actually work out the best for us but the thing is that you know so often it's being taught as being like a one you know a one size fits all solution which is not the case you know and that's really honestly with anything that's going on you know right now as well too where it's like it's all situational and it's like you really have to go back to just you know yourself and getting to know yourself and knowing what do you actually need and being able to go ahead and say that like with me you know I do a lot of journaling I try to journal every day. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not perfect. So there are days where it's like, eh, it's not happening, you know, but it's like, I try to, you know, at least get some of that stuff like out of my mind. And often, you know, one of the big ones that I might say to myself is, you know, what agreement did I break with myself today? And being able to go ahead and kind of look at that and be like, well, what is it that, you know, is pulling me away from me? Because when you start to pull away from yourself, that's stress right in itself because, you know, your body is literally telling you, like you said, it's telling you no, but you're just like, oh yeah, I'm going to keep doing it. It's like, well, no, like, don't do that to yourself. Don't make things, you know, more, you know, basically make things worse for you than you need to. And also being able to go ahead and pace yourself, right. you know, because so often we're just like, go, 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 go. And you run yourself into the ground and then you wonder why, you know, your body is like, you know, starting to break down and shut down. It's like, well, dude, you worked like six months in a row and you haven't had a day off. Like, what do you, like, what do you mean? Like, of course your, your body's finally going to say, Hey, you know, I'm done. And so often, you know, people think that because they're, um, that's part of the hard, you know, saying, well, yeah. Hey, you know, I got like, even for example, like I don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking the 75 hard because I've been seeing that challenge and everything going on. But it's like, you know, for a person that has, you know, like an autoimmune or has like any of these kind of things, I would not, you know, necessarily recommend going that extreme just because, you know, you have to be able to go ahead and listen to your body and kind of pay attention. It was something that initially I was kind of like looking at myself like, oh, like this looks interesting. Like I could potentially, you know, try this. And then my mind was like, 
okay, are, would you, you're in Wisconsin. Like, first of all, you're going to have to wait till it's like summer. Like, is there really 75 days of summer that actually happens here? No, you know, it's kind of like looking at those, you know, those pieces of it or whatever. But I know that's like a, a big, like generalization looking at that, you yeah. know, side of things, but just, you know, kind of for comparison sakes, you know, just being able to go ahead and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, look at yourself and look at you and also to be mindful of some of the things that are being said and toted. Like, for example, one quote that I used to love, but now I hate is that we all have the same 24 hours in a day. I hate hearing that because we do not all have the same 24 hours in a day. A person that has a nanny and has like a whole team and has a staff and everything like that, it's completely different than a single mom of one, two, three, however many, you know, amount of kids or, you know, um, you know, a man that, you know, is running a business that also has a family and everything like that. It's like, it's a completely different thing. And if you're also a person that's having, you know, an illness, you don't have the same amount of usable time and usable hours that a person that had, that is in quote unquote, you know, good health has as well. And I think that that's one of those things that can put an additional stressor on a person that is, you know, dealing with a chronic, you know, chronic pain or chronic condition, because they're trying to play that comparison game, you know, of where that person's at, which of course we know that comparison is a thief of joy. That's one I do agree with, you know, as far as, you know, you know, looking at quotes and things, but being able to go ahead and recognize that, you know, you need to work with what you have and you can definitely make adjustments to make it work, but don't put yourself into that, you know, adding that unnecessary stress onto yourself of trying to keep up with a lifestyle that is not even yours, you know, to begin with and not to get you wrong that you can definitely make adjustments to your lifestyle to make it work for you, but don't look at like Grant Cardone and think that, okay, you got the same 24 hours, you know, that it's like, no, no, you don't. Like it's a a completely, you know, different thing. Right. Comparison is, Right. Like it is the thief of joy. And in many ways, there are points at which you do need to steal your joy from the situation that you're in because you are making bad choices. But, you know, and I, and I think that's where that that quote comes from is this place of if you are trying to compare yourself to an unrealistic goal of, yep. you know, I'm trying to be uh, Elon Musk, right? Mm-hmm. I am not going to be Elon Musk, right? I promise you, I am not going to be that person, right? I I don't really care for like engineering. Like it's cool, certainly. Like I love what he's trying to do. It's fun, but I don't have the passion for it. I have a passion for people. Yeah. And, and so I'm going to be very different and understanding like how to compare, you know, com- I, I like to understand comparison from a much smaller perspective, right? Not a giant perspective of I'm trying to be this person. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to compare myself in, in many ways of how are people operating a TikTok focused business um, that is trying to help people. Right. And so I, I look into that niche and I say, okay, this guy's got really great content. I love it. How can I kind of replicate the style of it? If I like it, how do I replicate the business style of this? Because I like it. It's something that one, it makes money, which is always important to me because I have to take care of my family, but also not at the expense of me, right. right. Of, of my, you know, my genuine 
um, authentic personality where I'm not going to be yelling at someone like, Oh, you need to buy this. Right. Like <laughs> I don't want to do that. Right. I don't want to, I don't want to thrust myself onto your bank account so that I get all your money. I don't want that. Right. If I want to be authentic, I want to be real. If you need me, it's what I'm here for. And so I want to be able to sell you something that you actually value and appreciate. And so I'm, I'm comparing myself in many ways in realistic, small, uh, key focused areas, rather than looking at my personality and saying, I'm not Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, you know, there it is. I throw can't, my, can't throw my arms up in the air and, <laughs> and, and cry out, Oh, my God, I'm terrible, right? Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to do that. And I don't think anybody should do that. Yeah. If you want to compare yourself, uh, compare yourself in small focused areas of is this person doing it right? Mm -hmm. How I think it's right. And then how are they doing it? Right. And you're comparing the attitude, you're comparing the mindset, you're comparing the perspective and you're doing it to learn how to change. You're not doing it to be that person, mm -hmm. right? How can I change small things to create better outcomes for myself? And so, you know, it, it certainly, if you'd use that too much, right. If you go too big, too unrealistic mm -hmm. comparisons, the thief of joy, yeah. you know, and, and, in many ways, maybe you shouldn't be as joyful as you should, as you are right now, because guess what? Your house is on fire and you need to change. You need to get out. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And the alarm has been going off for quite some time and you're ignoring the alarm. <laughs> so it's like, you gotta go ahead and, you know, pay attention to it. It's not a matter of just going to change the batteries because that's yep. you know, the other, you know, piece of it as well, but definitely looking at all those different things and recognizing it and also being okay with it. Cause you know, we all don't do things the same way either. And that's another piece that's like, you know, being able to kind of like remix something that you're seeing and be like, okay, well, how can I apply this in my life? Cause I feel like this could potentially help me and yeah. see if it can actually help you. Cause sometimes it's stuff where it's like, yeah, that's not gonna, yeah. not gonna help. Like you can be able to go and have that discernment, you know, to be like, you know, that one, it looks good on paper, but yeah, that one's really not going to, you know, move the needle for me, unfortunately, and being able to recognize that. But like you said, too, being able to share the value. And that's often something that I do recognize, you know, even kind of looking at, you know, culturally and things like that as well, too, that, you know, in some, you know, different forms, you know, some areas are more materialistic than others, where it's like, okay, if you have an actual product that you can, a physical product you can show, whether it's like, you know, some Jordan's, a Louis Vuitton bag, you know, things like that. Well, you see the value of that based off the name, you know, the brand recognition and things like that. But when you're starting to talk about more of like self-help type things, that's where people are kind of like, well, you know, I, I do, you know, I get it. I should be, you know, working on these things. Yeah, I am in a lot of pain, but you know, right now that Louis bag looks really nice. So I'm going to go ahead and you know get that. But yeah. then it's like, okay, you know, looking at your you know, your particular health, for example, if you can't even get out of the house to actually like enjoy your life and everything, this bag is, you're just sitting here looking at this bag. Like, what is this, you know, what is this bag really doing? What is it really right. symbolizing, you know, for you? Because that's something that you could have actually, you know, you know, it's almost in, in essence, basically just looking at what your priorities are. You know, what are you? Someday that, that bag is going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. Just like you are. Yep. You know, just, like <laughs> just, you. To be, just to be honest, you know, just like how you are falling apart right now, yep. that's, that's what eventually is going to end up happening, you know, to that bag. And it's like, you know, being able to go ahead and invest in yourself, you know, mm -hmm. and being able to go ahead and look at that and realize that that's something that pays 
that pays dividends, yeah. that pays for that effect. You know, when you work on yourself, it affects your immediate circle, your immediate family. You yeah. know, you're affecting your kids. If you don't have kids, you might be affecting like, you know, your brothers, sisters, friends, you know, whoever. And when there's also that trickle down effect, you know, you know, when they're seeing that you're doing something, you know, it also can, you know, be divisive as well, because it can get rid of the people that really shouldn't have been around you in the begin with, which that's okay, too. Yep. But then also at the same token, you know, you're able to go ahead and take that knowledge and take that information and share it, you know, with others. And then they can go ahead and see how they can apply it. And find better people. Yep. Right. I mean, like I, you know, think about it seven years ago, you know, coming up in March was my, was my suicide attempt, right? Seven years ago, I didn't surround myself with a lot of people. Right. Yeah. And now here I am, right. I've got, this will be episode 32. And a majority of those are interviews with incredibly profound people, incredibly powerful people, incredibly uh, secure people with who they are and what they're trying to do. The message, obviously, Sarita, like we're going to have a relationship beyond this, right? Like, like we, we, can, we would be doing a disservice to ourselves if we didn't carry forward a relationship of helping each other out, of doing, you know, you know, obviously I can do your copy and you can, you can do my copy and we can do each other's copy and stuff like that. And right. Like help each other out and do good things for each other because we get it. Yeah. We appreciate each other's message. We appreciate what we're trying to accomplish in the world. And that just wasn't available to me seven years ago right? because of me, mm-hmm. right? 100% because of me right now, there were impacts and things that happened to me that obviously made that more likely. But at the end of the day, it was my choice. It was my choice to shut myself out from everybody else and and do what I did. And it was also my choice to get here. It was my choice to have you on my podcast and learn more about you to ask you hard questions to learn about what I can do better. You know, like, every single day, I make the choice of this, right of doing what I do here. Is it stressful? Absolutely. Um, and I'm working on that. That's my, that's my challenge. And it always will be my challenge, but if you don't do it, you never, you never find yourself in a place where you can meet people like you. So also growth, you know, as well too, which is having that growth factor. Cause that's the yeah. thing. It's like, you know, I'm a big proponent of growth. You know, it's like, I want to go ahead and, you know, and I don't want to grow physically because I'm trying to, you know, that's another subject trying to, you know, got a little COVID weight going, but trying to, you know, <laughs> but trying to just, you know grow is, you know, in the aspect of, you know, learning different things and, uh, you know, being able to apply it, you know, learning and implementation, you know, cause that's another thing is there's a lot of people that just are learning, 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 but they're not implementing anything that they're learning. And so they're right. just like, you know, holding on to that knowledge and not wanting to even share it and be able to go ahead and show, you know, how it can occur. And like with me, I'm really big on being, you know, showing it, like I'm showing the, the ugly, like on my Instagram, for example, like I recently started you know, working with a trainer just because I had worked with one prior to my accident and I didn't afterwards. And I did a lot, you know, on my own, but I felt like I was at that point now where I'm like, okay, let me get someone, you know, that actually, you know, understands, you know, chronic conditions that could actually work with me. And it's been amazing, you know, and I'm documenting that, you know, in my stories just to show people because I so often I hear of people that are, you know, that have been diagnosed with fibromyalgia and different things. And they're like, well, I can't do it. You know, I can't do this and I can't do that. And it's like, well, yes and no. 
Because, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, well, what are you choosing? What have you done? You know, it's like, it's basically asking those additional questions, you know, of yourself and, you know, being, you know, being real with yourself and saying, you know what, I'm not, I'm not holding up my part of the bargain. You know, I'm not doing the things that I know I should be doing. I'm not drinking enough water. I'm not eating properly. I'm not making, you know, like all those things and be like, okay, now that you got on the table, what the hell are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do about it? You know, are you going to just continue to sit here and look at this? And it's like, and it's don't get me wrong, because there's like so many different conditions. And I know that there's some that are just like, so, you know, different that we haven't quite gotten, you know, enough information on it as well. But still, you know, to be trying other things and just not give up, you know, that's another big piece as well. Because I mean, I was at that point where I wanted to give up too, you know, where I just was like, I'm done. Let me go be with my mom, you know, all those different things like that, you know, that were really going through my head. And then I had to have, you know, those conversations, you know, with my kids and, you know, just kind of looking at them and them asking me, mom, what's going on? You know, why are you not like the way you were, you know, used to take us to the park and play. Now we can't touch you, you know, to go, you know, from those different extremes and being like, well, this is not how I want it to be. Like, you know, I was given these children, you know, for a reason, you know, I need to go ahead and they are their own people. You know, I don't own them, you know, they're contrary to popular belief. We don't own these kids, you know, they're they're here, you know, for a reason. And it's like, you know, now recognizing that and seeing that and being able to have those open conversations. And, you know, a lot of times there's been a lot of tears, you know, it's been a lot of, you know, things like that. And there's also been a lot of triumphs, you know, being able to go ahead and say, Hey, you know, I'm glad that you guys were able to feel comfortable enough to come and talk to me and let me know what it is that you need from me. And if I'm screwing up, you're telling me I'm screwing up. And I'll own it and I'll accept it. And I'll be like, you know what? I didn't look at it like that. I just thought I was doing, you know, X, Y, Z. And now that you said that to me, I get it. I can understand where you're coming from. And I apologize to you for that and be a wholehearted apology. Not one of those, I'm sorry you feel that. No, don't put any of that extra stuff. (laughs) Like don't put all that extra stuff in the mix. Like, no, it's either you're sorry or you're not, or I apologize or not. I'm I'm a big person where I kind of like don't like to say sorry because I don't like sorry people, but that's a personal thing. So I'm more of like an, I apologize, you know, type of person just to say that because it's like, okay, now I'm taking accountability. But then at the end of that, I also say, well, what can I do now to fix the situation? because I want to make sure that we're good going forward. And I often say to my kids, I'm like, you guys did not come with the book, believe it or not. The Dr. Spock books, all those different things like that. Yeah, that's cool. But it's like, you know, all these children, you know, they, they're all different, you know, and not, you know, doing the comparison thing and all those different pieces like that too. You know, just being able to say, you know, you guys are your own people, you're, you know, your own humans. Let's go ahead and work this thing together, you know, call life and see what we can do with it. I love it. Well, we are both running out of time, so we need to, we need to wrap this up. And I love this podcast was awesome. Um, easily, easily one of my favorites. This is is great, but let me ask you the final question and let's finish it up. If there was a message you could leave the world, Sarita, what would it be? Um, that your mind really has a lot of power when it comes to your healing that, you know, it's one of the biggest pieces that yes, you know, you have the physical things and things of that nature to work on as well, but you really have to, you know, give it up to, to that, you know, and just being able to recognize that, you know, you do have that power within, you have to really, you know, honestly believe and hone into that, you know, of course, 
if you have, you know, your own higher power, you know, that you believe in as well, too. That's also another piece that, you know, works hand in hand, you know, with it as well, too. But at the end of the day, you know, you really are the one that is truly in control. You know, you are able to go ahead and make the final yay or nay, you know, on how you want things to be. And you are definitely more than your diagnosis and whatever someone has told you. So don't let those negative voices that you hear, those aren't yours. Those are people that, you know, didn't, you know, didn't see what you saw within yourself. And that often, sorry, I got a lot. <laughs> they're, often, <laughs> they're often, you know, things that have, you know, happened to them that they don't see, you know, because they weren't able to do it they cast it off onto you basically. And in turn are trying to turn you from being able to do that. Don't allow that to happen that, you know, don't let anyone dim your light that, you know, at the end of the day, you are capable of whatever it is that you want to do. That's something I often say to my children as well, that you guys can be whatever it is that you want to be. I'm not going to stop you. I just don't want you to be a serial killer. That's really all I can, you know, kind of you know, say as far as for, for that, like, let's, you know, there's levels, you know, to it, but that would be what I would say. I love it. I love it. Sarita, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on the podcast today. Um, I will, you know, any, any links to follow Sarita will be down below in the description. Um, make sure you go check her out. Make sure you go follow her, uh, get in touch with her. If you're, if you're someone that is struggling through chronic pain, she's obviously, she obviously knows what she's talking about. So please go check her out. But we both have to go. We both have to call this one where it is. And maybe we'll have another one if you want. If you want that, go ahead and leave a comment uh, if you're on YouTube. Uh, tell me what you think about this episode. And we'll catch you next time on The Dylan Experience. Yes, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> Too easy.